The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 178 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is how to know that a charity really is a charity. In September 2012, the Canada Revenue Agency, that's the Canadian equivalent of the U.S. Internal Revenue Service, revoked the charitable registration of the Canadian Quadriplegic Association, a Toronto-based charity. The Canada Revenue Agency found that the Canadian Quadriplegic Association was not complying with the Income Tax Act. It wasn't keeping proper records of revenues and expenditures, nor was it keeping records to support its charitable activities. Now, of course, it's entirely understandable that the Canada Revenue Agency would be protective of its revenues from taxpayers, But there are other factors, too, such as the ethics, trustworthiness and value of the things funded by donations. And these factors are especially important for families and family caregivers who are donating to a charity as a way of honouring the life of a beloved family member who's just died. And this is one reason why our topic today, how to know that a charity really is a charity, is so important to family caregivers. Now, to discuss it, our guests are Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. Bill is Chief Executive Officer of Spinal Cord Injury Ontario, a registered charity. As a former Ontario government employee and National Task Force leader, he brings nearly three decades of expertise in non-profit management and strategic leadership. Prior to joining Spinal Cord Injury Ontario, he was for 13 years director of the National Patient Services Program with the Canadian Cancer Society. His extensive involvement in providing services to people with disabilities includes serving as director of the International Year for Disabled Persons, the executive director of a national task force involved in coordination of cancer control efforts, and the founding executive director of Wellspring. Susan is the national chair of law firm Miller Thompson's Charities and Not-for-Profit Group. She advises on establishing charities and non-profit organizations and works with them to address their operational and governance concerns. She is knowledgeable in the law relating to charitable expenditures and day-to-day questions of charities, including charities working outside of Canada. 
She's regularly called upon to advise charities and non-profit organizations on compliance and taxation matters. She assists clients on questions of charitable giving and of regulations relating to receipting of charitable foundations and expenditures of charitable funds. So welcome to the show, Bill and Susan. Thanks, Gordon. Happy to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Okay, Bill, I'm going to start with you first, please. Please tell us more about your career background and any experience you have with family caregiving. Well, what I would add is my involvement as a volunteer uh, in a number of instances, probably the most important with the Dorothy Lay Hospice, which is a a community-based hospice service providing uh, care and and support to families who have a family member who is terminally ill. So I was chair of the board of directors uh, at that organization for three years. And in addition to that, I've been uh, providing support and care to elderly parents, um, both my wife and myself, and uh, um, uh, so having an experience of uh, uh, being involved with other organizations who are supporting our parents as they uh, aged and uh, eventually passed on. Right. Susan, same question. Tell us more about your career background and any experience you have with family caregiving. Um, thanks, Gordon. I've been working uh, in the legal side of charities not-for-profit for about the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and prior to that I did mostly tax regulation work with corporations and private individuals. So my um, work experience that I bring to this is, is really on the governance and the tax uh, regulatory side, which many charities have to deal with. Um, from a caregiving perspective, I've uh, had parents, um, both parents had cancer and went through a period of time. A brother had cancer and went through a period of time of illness. And as well, I had a very close friend who supported a spouse with uh, progressive multiple sclerosis who went over a 20-year period. And uh, the caregiving experience with that was, was quite something and that quite an eye-opener for, uh, for most of us who were supporting that, uh, that route because it's not something that you run into on a day-to-day basis, but we certainly learned and, and grew a lot from having that experience. Bill, um, please tell us more about your work as CEO of Spinal Cord Injury Ontario. That's a polite way of asking, what do you do? Our organization is dedicated to helping individuals who sustain a spinal cord injury rekindle a passion for life and then to find the courage and resources to build new dreams and to rebuild their lives and take their rightful place as valued citizens in living in the community. So my job is to assist with the governance of the organization, support the delivery of services which helps uh, these individuals on their journey to recovery, and uh, overseeing the fundraising components of the organization. So in short, my job is to see that the environment of our organization and the, all of the checks and balances in terms of accountabilities and transparencies are in place so we are able to achieve our mission, which talks about champion, championing excellence in service, advocacy, and quality of life for people with spinal cord injuries. Right. This is quite an organization I joined 20 years ago, and one of my great 
trainers and teachers was an individual who himself lived with a quadriplegia. He was living in hospital, and he was determined that he would not spend the rest of his life there, and as a result, started an organization called Nucleus Housing, which was the first independent living program in the city of Toronto, uh, and subsequently started a, an attendant service program, which uh, provides uh, personal support work to individuals in their own homes. And he started that through our organization. So he taught me how to, pro- he, he led that program, and he taught me how to deliver high-quality services in a way which enhances the dignity uh, and the self-esteem of individuals who require support to live independently and to uh, get to work, even though they're dealing with a high-level paralysis. Susan, please tell us more about your work as the national chair of uh, Miller Thompson's charities and not, uh, not-for-profit group. Thanks, Gordon. Uh, I will. Um, I um, have the privilege to manage the lawyers across the country who have come together and decided that we will um, provide our legal services, hopefully, to clients that are charities and nonprofits. Um, we are we're, we don't do it all on a pro bono basis, or we wouldn't have be able to have gainful employment. But we do all have a special skill set and experience in working with organizations that are established either as charities or nonprofits. And you know, I think Bill will agree there are unique requirements and circumstances for organizations working in this field. And I have to say, to be able to be uh, counsel to working with many organizations across the country, uh, it's a real privilege to have the kinds of questions and to work with organizations on the governance issues, on the tax compliance issues, and on the day-to-day legal issues they encounter. Um, at Miller Thompson, we have approximately 15 of us across the country that are really dedicated to providing this work, and we work together in in this group to ensure that we're getting the most effective and from a cost perspective, but also the right skill set to provide our clients help. Uh, my days are filled with unique calls from many organizations, and uh, it it is work that brings a smile to our face and is is very. In- often very enjoyable, sometimes difficult questions, but working with organizations in the sector where you know that you're really trying to to help people do good, which is what generally is happening in charities, is a real pleasure. And I know that the group that we work in at Miller Thompson feels that way. What you've both been emphasizing in, in various ways is that this is a field that both of you are involved with, but in different ways, of good work, in the best sense of that phrase. That is to say, these are people who recognize um, that, for example, the charity is actually doing something which helps with a problem that needs help, and that, you know, as organizations, uh, the charities are determined, so to speak, to support the expectations and the beliefs of the donors. And then you, Susan, are saying that um, some of your work, obviously it can't all be pro bono, but some of it is, and that's another signal that there's that recognition of the value, the ethical value, um, the, the, the social value, and also that broad sense of community 
that lies within this field of charitable work. And, of course, it goes outside healthcare. We know that. There's also, um, a, a, apart from legal uh, matters and apart from financial matters, there are also things like spiritual matters. And that's why the emphasis on um, the question of the questions that families need to know about when they're considering, as I said, honoring a beloved family member who's died by donating to a charity where the charity is doing something reflective perhaps of the cause, the circumstances of the death of the beloved person. So that, that I think, is the strong theme that goes through this entire episode. At least I hope it does. Now, on that point, I'm going to say that uh, we have to pay the rent, so this is the time for us to take the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Have you ever thought about owning your own business? Are you interested in making more money? Are you interested in becoming focused and super productive? Mark your calendar every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and 1 p.m. Central Time to listen and learn from America's business expert, Bill Walsh, on The Rainmaker Show. Bill will share the untold secrets to launch and build a successful company in today's challenging economy. We will also have top success experts and giveaways every week. Tune in to the Voice America Empowerment Channel to create success on your terms. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. Our topic is how to know that a charity really is a charity. So let's now talk about what charities actually are and about their accountabilities and responsibilities. Susan, please, first, how are charities defined? 
Why do, why do some organizations present themselves as charities when they may not comply with the definition of a charity? Um, well, Gordon, you were speaking uh, very much about this topic just before we took the break. I mean, charities are primarily organizations that do good. Um, to be recognized as a charity, the, the common law actually set out definitions um, a few hundred years ago, which we still rely on today in Canada. In the U.S., it's slightly different, but they're still based on the same premises. And, and this is, these are things that involve a public benefit or a community benefit, and we often describe them as the, the four heads of charity, but it's, it's generally described as organizations that, that work on relief of poverty, organizations that advance religion, organizations that advance education, or organizations that are advancing a purpose that the society has identified as charitable and, and having a public benefit. And the health organizations that we often speak about fall into this latter category. And the theme that runs through all of these organizations is they're not being run for any private benefit or private profit of owners or individuals, but they're established to achieve a higher objective of a public good or a community good. And they're, they're generally open to, to those in need of the charitable purpose they pursue. Um, they are usually given special tax status. Um, in Canada, they would be called a Canadian registered charity, and when they file with the Canada Revenue Agency to be uh, given a number and identified as a Canadian registered charity, they're then permitted to earn their revenues or their donations without paying any tax, and they can issue tax receipts to individuals who donate to them. Similar rules apply in the United States, but they're called tax-exempt organizations or 501c3 organizations. But similarly, there is a process with the taxing authority that identifies the organization as uh, qualifying for the special tax status and then eligible for the special tax status and the, and the ability to receive donations. So, so charity is about doing good, and it's about doing good in, in many, many ways, as we've discussed. Um, unfortunately, we do find organizations that um, represent themselves as charities that aren't, and usually those ones are easier to determine because we can do some searches or some work to make sure that the organization that's approached us is, in fact, listed as a registered charity. Um, by looking at the websites of the Canada Revenue Agency or the Internal Revenue Service to find those things. And then the other difficulty is sometimes charities lose their way. And it's, it's difficult to really identify why these things happen, but they usually come from the fact that people are either, unfortunately, sometimes misleading us or otherwise people are just well-intentioned, but they lose track of the rules and regulations. Right. Now, I'm going to stop you there, Susan, because I want to go to Bill um, with a follow-on question, which is this. As a registered charity, that's, that's Spinal Cord Injury Ontario, what are the obligations that you, Spinal Cord Injury Ontario, apply to yourselves? Bill? Well, this is an excellent question. 
Uh, and as both of you have mentioned, uh, charities do good. They help people, and they address issues to make our, our communities a better place to live. It's not enough to just do good. We must commit ourselves to the highest level of ethics and integrity and of transparency and accountability in terms of all of our operations. So our first commitment is to dedicate ourselves to complying with the Imagine Canada Standards Program for Canada's charities and nonprofits. And this lays out standards in five areas, which includes board governance, financial accountability and transparency, fundraising, staff management, and volunteer management. So there are very specific standards uh, that are required uh, in order to qualify to be a member of this, uh, of this standard uh, operation uh, that, we, that we dedicate ourselves to complying with. There's two other areas. Uh, one is that I wanted to mention. One is we dedicate ourselves to delivering evidence-based and high-quality services. And this is really where, this is at the core of what we do. Are the services we're providing making a difference in people's lives? Are their lives better? And are our clients satisfied with the services? Will they, would they refer others to our services uh, with a high sense of confidence? So an extremely important metric to understand uh, what, our, what difference our services are making. And then the final area, uh, one of the ways we hold ourselves accountable is that we have uh, a strategic plan which identifies very specific strategic priorities, which basically defines success for us. And for each of those priorities, we have identified metrics or goals that we intend to achieve every year and we report out on our success in relation to achieving those goals on a, in a report card. It's called a balanced scorecard. And it's a report that has been adopted from the business community into the nonprofit sector. So it is a, it is a report card that we present uh, uh, to our donors and our members and our clients annually in our annual report. Okay. Now, I'm going to pass to Susan, um, and this is a question of principles of law. That is to say, at the level of principles that are embedded in law, to whom are charitables, charities ultimately accountable, and what actually are they accountable for? Charities are accountable for everything they do. Um, the, the common law has said that the charitable property was property that was held for the public good. And, you know, historically in uh, the United Kingdom and other, um, and other jurisdictions, we would say they were, they were responsible to the crown or to the government for everything they did with uh, the, the assets that they have. And, and that's the case today. In Canada, it's, it's generally we refer to the provinces as the ultimate parents patriae, which means the agent of the crown to make sure charities are doing good. And so at the highest level, when, when charities have assets and are given money either through governments or through donors, their obligation, as, as Bill has 
talked about and, and how his organization does it is to evidence to the community at large that they are using those dollars and, and doing the work they need to do to achieve their charitable mission. More particularly in Canada, the, uh, the taxing authority, the Canada Revenue Agency, does require an annual filing from charities called a T3010 annual return, and it is a quite a detailed form. Uh, the form in the United States is called the Form 990, and unfortunately for those charities in the United States, it's a lot more detailed than the one in Canada. But, um, but they're both very similar. What they are are forms on which the organizations are asked to fill out information about their financial activities and their program activities. And in both countries, those forms can be found on the tax authority website uh, under the name of the charity so that the general public can see the information and can look at it. And again, it, it's all about transparency and accountability, trying to ensure that the, um, that the organization is accountable at, at the highest level to those who it's working in support of, to those who are supporting it, and to the communities at large. Right. So there, there are particular, you know, smaller accountabilities as far as government funding to governments and those types of things. But at a very high level, that's the, that's the accountability. Right. Susan, I'm going to go straight to Bill now because, Bill, you mentioned Imagine Canada as basically laying down a whole set of standards that you are obliged to fulfill or feel yourselves obliged to fulfill. Now, I want to ask you a little bit more about who you feel you are accountable to for your trustworthiness and the value of the things you spend the donations on and what kind of feedback you get from the people you feel that you're uh, in some way obligated to. Bill? Yes, well, I would agree with Susan. Our first accountability is to the Canada Revenue Agency and filing that T3010 uh, form every year to uh, ensure that we are we remain in good standing, uh, not just with CRA, but that we uh, are uh, available, that information is available to all of our donors to ensure that we continue to operate in, in an appropriate way. Beyond that, I would add four more. And the first one would be we're accountable to our clients. So we serve over 2,000 people a year. How do we know that we're making a difference, and are they satisfied? So one of the things we do every year is to conduct a survey uh, in, in terms of satisfaction and uh, value for our services. And, and this past year, we had 92% of our clients re- recommending, highly recommending our services and we had 79% either satisfied or extremely satisfied with the services that we provide. We also are partnering with the University of Toronto uh, and other uh, university research-based programs to conduct more uh, of, a, of an evaluation which gives us a reading on impact in terms of benefits for the individual, but also benefits to the economy. So when we work with a person for two or three years and they go back to work, uh, and start paying taxes and become consumers again, it's better for all of us in the communities that we live. The second is we, we're accountable to our partners. 
unless we must be connected to the acute care system. So when a person has a spinal cord injury, we're welcomed into that system and we are a part of that system. We don't provide the health care, but we, we must serve the people hand in hand as we help them rekindle that passion for life. So same for rehabilitation centers. So are we reaching 100% of people who are admitted to a trauma center? That was, that's one of the metrics that we are using. Uh, and uh, there are about 560 new spinal cord injury cases a year, and we're connected with about 450. So that's a, a pretty good record. Um, then next, we're, we are uh, committed to being accountable to our staff. Right. And our staff, with, with uh, high morale and satisfied that they have a quality workplace, deliver better services. Okay. Bill, I'm going to have to stop you there because yep. uh, time is a tyranny, tyranny in this business, and we do have to take the break. But if I've cut you off from saying anything that you uh, needed to say, I'll give you that chance in the, ne- in the next segment. So let's go to the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. Our topic is how to know that a charity really is a charity. 
Now let's talk about things that family caregivers should know when they're considering contributing to a charity. Well, for example, a family member dies and contributions to a charity will be requested as a way of honouring the life of the family member. So, Bill, I cut you off in the last segment, so please finish off uh, at what with whatever you wanted to say then. But then I also want to ask you, what types of donors most commonly donate to Spinal Cord Injury Ontario? What do you know about the reasons for the donations? And what are the types of questions you get asked by donors and families? Bill? Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, in the last section, I would add, we are also accountable to our funders, of course, uh, very deeply, and that it would include our donors and, and uh, government funding that we receive. So uh, coming back to who is it that is uh, donating to us, um, we are, uh, we are, people are motivated to donate to our services because they believe that we deliver value uh, and that the people we support, their lives are improved uh, because of the work that we do. So um, we receive funding from individuals. We receive funding from corporations. We receive funding from uh, foundations uh, as well. And so we, uh, again, emphasize the accountability and transparency of our management and our reporting, uh, and uh, this uh, thereby... Uh, validates, in a sense, the work that we do and the services, not just the services that we provide, but also the credibility of our transparency and accountability. Now, I'm going to Susan um, to ask you this question. What are the types of questions that families should ask of a charity to which they're considering encouraging family and friends to donate? Thanks, Gordon. I think I think the the most important question the family should ask is about the programming of the charity, so they have a good understanding as to how their donor dollars will be used. Uh, they will want to get the official charitable registration number from the organization to know the organization's in good standing with the Canada Revenue Agency, and they might want to ask questions around, you know, how how the organization operates, what kind of information is available to donors, you know, to ensure the transparency is taken seriously and the accountabilities that that Bill is talking about are pursued by the charity. Most organizations are very happy to invite donors into the into their premises to show their operations, to demonstrate the work they do. Uh, they'll talk about, you know, how much of their uh, donor dollars or how much of their assets go to charitable activity and how much is spent on administration, which is a necessity. Organizations can't exist without devoting money to, to management and administration. But they're organizations that are, that are uh, running well and running with the transparency and accountability mantra are very encouraging and, and will be open to talk to families about that. And those are the questions should be raised. The, the charities want the support from families, so the, uh, the families should consider that they should, open, they should be open to ask any question that, they're, uh, that they can think of, uh, which it relates to why they want to support the particular organization. Right. 
Bill, it's exactly the same question for you. One of the questions that you think donors should ask of a charity that they're being encouraged to donate to? Well, Susan makes a great point that it's a good sign when a charity welcomes a donor uh, into their organization, not just to look at the premises, but more importantly, to look at their books, to look at their finances, uh, to, to look at the board of directors, and to examine how they operate. So some of the important questions are, where does my donation go? How many people do you help in a year? Have you helped change public policy in a way which would positively affect my family and families who face similar challenges in the future? How much money do you spend on services versus administration and fundraising? And how do you define success, and how do you measure and report on this success? And may I please see your audited financial statements from the last three fiscal years, and who is your external auditor? These are some critical questions, and uh, if they're answered frankly and the information is provided, uh, a donor will have the tools they need to assess the competency of the organization that they're thinking of supporting. That's very powerful because it's really asking the kind of questions that any well-run organization should be able to answer and should welcome answering, which is the point that you've both made. Now, I'm going to put to Susan a question um, that's really asked, well, okay, what should family caregivers do or donors do if the information they receive in response to their questions seems not to answer the questions or seems insufficient. Susan, what should they do? I think that they should take that as a sign of caution. And it doesn't mean they need to stop there. I think, you know, asking further questions, asking to speak to someone else at the charity, um, pursuing the questions they have, which they're not getting the right answers to, is, is always important, particularly if they generally are of the view that this is an organization they want to support and they're a little bit surprised at the insufficiency of the information. There are also some third-party tools which uh, individuals, the public, can look to uh, to determine whether, you know, how a charity is operating and to get a sense. Um, one thing they can always do, which isn't really external as well, is to look at the website and just get a sense of how organized an organization, how sophisticated they are. There are small organizations which are good charities and are doing good works, which are not necessarily um, have as many processes in place. So I think families need to consider that as well. But you can usually tell from a website how well organized and transparent and accountable an organization is. Uh, Bill mentioned Imagine Canada earlier. Imagine Canada is an umbrella group that supports and represents charities across Canada. It has a tool on its website called Charity Focus, and it's, it's easy to find, and it lists all the registered charities in Canada. And on the uh, particular page for each charity, there is summary of some of the financial information, summary of how the monies are being spent, which is taken from the annual T3010 tax filing. 
But charities also have an opportunity to put their own information up on Charity Focus to describe for Canadians the work they're doing. So it's another powerful tool that that donors can look to when they're trying to get information about charities. But bottom line, if you're getting a little bit of a uncertain feeling or a not a very positive feeling on the responses you're getting, I would caution donors to take care, see if you can speak to other donors to the organizations, take some additional steps to ensure that uh, that the fact that they're not getting the information may simply be a a particular individual and doesn't mean that there's issues with how the organization's spending their money and how they're operating. Right. Now, I just want to use a word that perhaps doesn't belong in this context, but I'm going to use it, and that is business. What I mean by that is the, the charities you're talking about, both of you, the good ones, have to manage themselves in such a way that they're accountable, but also in such a way that they don't go broke. They don't find themselves unable That's to correct. pay the... Right, so in other words, they've got to be financially extraordinarily well-managed um, to be able to continue doing the good work they're doing. Now, first of all, that's a bit of a strong statement, but Bill, how do you react to it? And then I'd like to hear Susan, how she reacts to that. What do you think? Well, uh, the adoption of uh, business practices into the charity is something that's been underway for several years, and I believe is a, is a very important movement. The balanced scorecard concept actually came from the business community and has been imported and is being used by a number of charities now, which is, in the sense, a centerpiece for accountability and transparency. Um, so operation of charities in a business-like fashion, in a way which is uh, streamlined and effective and efficient, and highly transparent and accountable is uh, using, in many ways, business practices. And, and uh, often charities are criticized for perhaps putting too many resources into finance and administration and fundraising. Um, and uh, there needs to be a, a lower percentage in these areas, but at the same time, there needs to be a, a reasonable level of investment from a business perspective to make sure that we can appropriately handle the complex grants uh, and uh, financial accountability reporting we have from multiple funding sources. So business paradigms effective in a charity setting, absolutely. We embrace them. Okay. So just very quickly, because we've only got one minute, do you have anything you want to add to what Bill said? I, no, I just agree with it. I think it is the norm in the charitable sector now. I think that the, there's an understanding that they need to operate in a business-like fashion. Notwithstanding, there are some idiosyncrasies about being and working with charities that mean some things are a little bit different. But uh, definitely, I think Bill said it very well. That's the norm, and that's what organizations strive for. Great. Now, we're going to go into our break because, as I keep saying, we do have our rent to pay. This is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guest is Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back.
Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. All the changes you make in your life are positive, whether you realize it or not. And you can continue to create even more change to improve your life by tuning in to Pure Talk Radio with host Bonnie Worth. Bonnie sees everything as a learning life experience, and it only gets better as you go. Embrace life with the passion and enthusiasm it was meant to be lived with. Learn and become inspired. Listen to Pure Talk Radio every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Bill Adair and Susan Mannering. Our topic is how to know that a charity really is a charity. Let's now talk about ways to increase help and advice for family caregivers wanting to make a charitable donation to bring, help bring hope to people and families faced with serious health-related challenges, perhaps of the type that their own families have encountered and that perhaps have been responsible for the loss of beloved family members. (coughs) Bill, what do you want to see done to increase help for family caregivers considering a charitable donation in memory of a beloved family member? I would like to make sure that families are asking the right questions and that they're receiving reliable information to be able to make an informed choice. So let's provide them with some critical questions and let's define what favorable answers would be so they they know what to, to listen for. So by helping them understand how much of their... Uh, of, of a charity's budget goes to helping people directly and how much goes to finance and administration and, and other operational expenses. Let's look for less than 75%, not less than 75% going to service, so not more than 25% uh, being spent on fundraising and administration. We've mentioned the Imagine Canada guidelines uh, and the CRA reports. And a, a final piece that, that we have here, which is useful, is a, a donor bill of rights. So if you're a donor, what can you expect from us? Very important contract. Susan, 
What do you want to do and see done to increase help and advice for family caregivers considering a charitable, charitable donation to achieve progress that they believe is needed in health care? Well, I think Bill said it well in a number of the things that were on my list. I think Bill has just said um, one area which, which I would like to see is, is that we are able to educate families and caregivers and the public um, more currently about how to set up these types of gifts and making them aware of, of what the steps they should take, who they should contact, what questions they should ask before they're at the moment where they're trying to set up the legacy program. I mean, often people don't think about these um, this kind of a donation or setting up an in-memoriam program until after the individual has passed away, and it's then it's done quickly. It's not necessarily done in a way that ensures that the funds get to, to achieve the purpose that they're really hoping that, that they will achieve. So talking about it in, in um, radio segments like this one, having discussions in the press about the importance of charitable giving and how important it is to advancing health care and um, ensuring that people are thinking about this before they're in a situation where they're trying to set it up urgently is also important to me, and I think we can do that by more public education, uh, more information being available as, as it is on many websites, and, and encouraging people to look for it. Right. Bill, back to you. What's your message for family caregivers considering a charitable donation? One of the best ways to honor and remember the passing of a loved one is to offer financial support to a charity that's provided support to your loved one and to the family. We have done this on many occasions with family members who have passed away, and it is a, a wonderful legacy to help the charity to say thank you to them, but also more importantly to enable them to extend a helping hand to people who are coming after us facing the same kinds of challenges. It's the pay-it-forward concept, and uh, it, in expressing uh, our gratitude for the support we've received, we know that the charity, assuming that they are an, a, a transparent and accountable charity, it's a great way to allow them to continue the kind of support and service for others who are facing challenges. Susan, same question. What's your message for family caregivers considering a charitable donation? It's hard to find something new to say because Bill said it so well. But I, <laughs> I totally agree. It is a, it's a very rewarding uh, mechanism to remember your loved one. And I think the... the uh, the, the message is really to establish it with care, think about it, take the time, speak to the charity. Um, charities will always be open to working with donors and trying to find ways to ensure that the donors feel that the, the support is going in the memory of their loved one. And I think it's a very rewarding way to, uh, to have a legacy and to provide uh, something that allows you to remember your loved one and remember all of the good things that have happened in their lives and in addition to support others 
who, who may have um, been in a similar situation or it may be a charity that was just simply a charity that was the favorite of the loved one and uh, is something that you'll know that person would be thrilled to know you're providing the support to. Right. Question to you, Bill, first, just a quick one. It's right, isn't it, that if you make, if somebody makes a donation in your name to a charity, that person's name will be recorded somewhere um, in the charity's books or on the website or something like that. Is that right? Yes, that is right. The donor has the opportunity to make a, a, uh, an anonymous donation, and, and often donors would like to do that and ask that their name not be revealed, and of course, uh, charities would honor that. But uh, if I uh, make a contribution in the name of my father, for example, uh, this would be printed in their publication with my permission, and it may or may not include my name again, according to my my uh, preference, my personal preference. Right, Susan. These are times of financial pressures everywhere, especially in healthcare, and there's lots of talk about cutbacks and all the rest of it. So that really means, I think, and I want to know if you agree that charitable route to supporting healthcare is becoming more and more important or is going to get more and more important. Um, and I don't mean this is necessarily in a pejorative way, but kind of making up the gaps some that may be emerging or may be there in healthcare as we deal with all the problems of an aging society, all the questions of uh, illnesses that my profession, the medical profession, can't cure. So, What's your sense then of the grow the growth, if there is, if you do see it as a growth, of the importance of the charitable sector in healthcare? Well, I think it's I think it's critical. I think you've identified it very well that there is a huge need, and there will always be a huge need for dollars uh, to support healthcare, especially as governments are you know finding themselves challenged to fund all of the good works that are out there. So the donors end are a critical aspect of it, and they fund particular programs and can allow researchers and healthcare organizations to embark on programming that isn't just day-to-day providing the services, which is a lot of what the governments are focused on. So they allow the research and the innovation and the development of, of new tools to assist uh, assist the patients and the clients. So it's, it's a critically important aspect in the healthcare community, and donors are becoming a very important part of the partnership with the healthcare organizations to allow them to grow and innovate for the future. To you both, I say thank you, um, Bill and Susan, for first of all sharing with us so much information your your insights and your advice uh, and bringing information out that i think it's my view people need to know more about and needed to know more about and therefore what you've done i think is to show that the good work charities do and will increasingly do is supported by good work on the part of responsible organizations who want to deliver value for to 
the society on behalf of the people who uh, were donors and the people who are uh, in the memory of the donors. Um, so all I can say to you is please keep it up because you're needed. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about help for caregivers on the edge. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. We'll be right back. 